Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is season two of Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. <laughs> and I am listening. Oh, are you? <laughs> so just to let you know, I've been listening for the last five minutes. <laughs> I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. This week, we're talking to fashion expert, presenter and national treasure, Gok Wan. You know what? I've, I've still got every single every single card that my brother's ever sent me in a memory box. Look at that! And his TV chef and cookbook author brother, Quaklin. Cheesy, but you love it. I'm just I'm just I just keep them just so I can see whether you're just repeating business year on year. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I've just got this whole whole list that I just copy and paste. <laughs> but I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. When he did get himself into into sticky situations, my brother would always ring me up and I would go to his rescue every single time. My brother really, my brother was a huge, huge part of me getting better. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Kwoklin is older than Gok by a year. Their grandfather came to the Midlands from Hong Kong in 1958, opening Leicester's first chop suey restaurant in 1962. Being half Chinese and half English, living in a restaurant and both being overweight did make the boys targets for bullies. We talk about dealing with that and about ABBA and about conducting psychological torture on your sibling. But Kwoklin started with Gok's nickname and its origin. Well, Gok isn't Gok. I've never called Gok Gok unless we're on doing radio shows. It's Babe. So even in the middle, he hates it because I'm in London. I'm like, Babe! Because he's been Baby the family. So my mum, dad and my sister and even all my aunties and uncles, we all call him Babe. Oh. That's his name. And did you know that he was premature? So he, he, you know, a normal face flannel? Yeah. That was used as his nappy. Yeah, it's true. I was two months premature and I was born with twisted legs, jaundice, a hole in my heart. And I was a very, very poorly baby, as legend has it. And my mum talks of, um, I was so small, she could hold me in the palm of her hand. So he's always been the baby of the family, literally. So actually you're protective of him, but the whole entire one family is protective of him. Yeah, I think that's why he gets away with everything. (laughs) And I've actually got a teddy bear that I've still got, but the teddy bear was, I think, believe, was either the same size as me or bigger than me. And I was so small, I had a flannel for a nappy. And now look at me, a six foot one hunk, the size of me. (laughs) The sheer size of you. What was your childhood like, sort of out and about, school and after school and mucking about and playing that kids do? 
Yeah, so when we were a lot younger, we lived where we went to school. So we grew up in an area in Leicester called Belmont Lees. Um, it's a council estate, you know. It it was great, though, because all our friends lived, you know, next door to us. So we went to the same school and we were out playing on our bikes and skateboards, um, creating havoc, fantastic um, summer holidays. And Glock and I were always allowed out later than everybody else. So that was quite nice because everybody would go in about four thirty, five o'clock for their tea and Gok and I would be out there pretty much it was our manor <laughs> we, we owned the area because there was no one else out there I read somewhere that you and Gok called yourself the bad boys back in the day when you were you know when yeah, you had your neighborhood I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about that <laughs> I spoke to my brother about it he goes don't talk about that <laughs> do you know that I mean the bad boys it was it was just it was our egos when we were growing up like any young child I guess that what they were you, what you want to do me and my brother we had a great strength together we were raised as twins even though there's only a year between us we were we we knew everything about each other we shared the same bedroom for many many years we had bunk beds for a little while and we shared a room right up until wow i don't know into our late teens really so. oh wow that's bonding yeah <laughs> Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah, very much so. Well, mom, you know, say so mum and dad, they, you know, they bought a property with a restaurant beneath. It was only a three bedroom, so obviously mum and dad had a room. Oilent obviously had to have her own room, and then Gok and I shared. Now, obviously, we had to travel into school, which was about two and a half, three miles away. We didn't have the garden. We didn't have friends close by, so we kind of like lost that other network. Um, but it was still nice because then the restaurant became our playground. And, you know, we kind of watched each other grow up. And so when we were when we were getting slightly older, both of us knew that we were different to many people around us. And it was pointed out on a daily basis. So for us to then deal with that, what we did is we, we found the support in one another mm. and the strength in one another. And whilst we had that bond and that togetherness, the bad boys or whatever you want to call it, whilst we whilst we had all of that stuff, the world couldn't come near us. I think it wasn't actually until he was about 16 years old and he found a flat just just literally down the road from the restaurant and he moved in there but I think he needed because obviously what he was going through obviously realizing that he was um, gay and obviously not coming out to the family at that at that stage I think he just needed his own space so um, I think that's why he made the move to be quite honest so but he moved out of home very young age I think he was 16 17 years old so do you have a piece of music that, or a song or something that you can immediately takes you back to Leicester in the 70s and 80s? The 70s and 80s. We used to listen to a hell of a lot of ABBA and that was my sister's fault. And we used to be playing ABBA and pretending we were the band. And I would always be Benny. And I can't remember who my sister and Lorraine used to be. Who did you play in ABBA? Tell me. I can't remember his name. Oh my God, what is his name? I so said my sister was the good looking one. <laughs> of course, because she was the boss. Uh, my brother was, I think my brother was Benny. Babe, my babe, my brother would always be Bjorn. Be- I was Bjorn. I mean, I was the youngest. I didn't have any say in this whatsoever. I just I just thoroughly enjoyed it. We had a great time. But we used to be underneath the restaurant. It was, there was a basement when, in my dad's first restaurant. They were really important performances because they allowed us to be really fun and childlike and and it was our version of going out to play because we were in the restaurant and so we didn't have a regular childhood. You know, the family business always had to take priority, which I'm very thankful for. Um, and so actually this this playtime, these hours of, of, of singing ABBA songs in the basement became all of our play. And, and I again, I wouldn't be able to do what I do right now had I not been Bjorn in the basement of the bamboo house. <laughs> Those days when the other kids went in for their tea at four thirty, five o'clock, and you didn't—that's one point of difference. 
among, I guess, a whole load of points of differences between you and perhaps some of your friends? We were very well-fed children. You know, that's no disrespect to my mum and dad, but they overfed us, to be quite honest. And, we, you know, we were big kids, you know, you know, fat kids, to be quite honest. And so we were teased more about being fat rather than being Chinese. And it wasn't until we actually went to secondary school that I noticed that there was all of a sudden people were pointing the finger that we were from, well, we weren't British, even though we were British. When I was we were just going to say, you Chinese. were British. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, obviously, to but to the other kids, we looked different. Our names were different. We had different surnames, and it was foreign-sounding names. And, and you know, you know, yeah, at the school, primary school, we I think we were the only East Asian children in the entire school. Really? So yeah, because I mean, you know, this is the seventies. It was it was a lot different back then. I think there was only one other sort of like one other family that were. I think there was my Elton Oates. He was half caste. There was Nigel, a friend of mine. He was black. There wasn't that even many sort of like you know black children back then, to be quite honest. So, so it was a tricky childhood in a lot of ways. Even if yeah. I didn't know much about you, I could put all the ingredients in and think, okay, Chinese family, Leicester, seventies and eighties. You yeah. knowing you were gay at some point, and both of you and your brother being quite overweight. I, yeah, I, it, it doesn't take a genius to work out that some of that or all of that could have been a struggle. Yeah, a real struggle. I mean, we were we were a feeding ground for the bullies. We were we were we were really really dependable. People could come to us and 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 fulfil all of their kind of show off needs. And and me and my brother went through all of that for a long long time. And in a, in a very different way, mine my my bullying wasn't Hollywood style bullying. Mm. What I call Hollywood style, the kind of stuff that you see in movies and you can identify with very quickly. Mine was slightly more psychological. My brother's was a constant chip, chip, chip away at his confidence. And I remember, remember it and I hated it. I don't know if I'm allowed to use this word, but I was a fat chink. That mm. was it. And that was the name that I was called. And, you know, you kind of like, well, you know, who am I going to moan about this? Because teachers aren't bothered. Parents don't understand. You know, they're, they're, you know, the police aren't bothered. Who do I talk to? So you just get on with it, don't you? So, but yeah, of course it did affect me. And, you know, it's still, yeah, I guess it still upsets me a little bit now, you know, but. I suppose if you think about, you know, 11-year-old, 12-year-old you who had to get the bus further to school, slightly mm. out of your comfort zone, and then having things like that flung in your face, how do you feel when you think about him? He was, he was little. Yeah, I was little. Yeah, I was, but... Yeah, yeah. but it's made me the person I am now. You know, if confidence is one thing that the ones have got, Gok and I are full of confidence. And I think the only reason we're full of confidence is because we've had to go through adversity and we know our worth. We were at the mercy of our environment, like many people, um, and it was tough at times. But also as well, the, the problem that we had is that we had this incredible family business. My parents owned a restaurant. Mm. We lived above the restaurant. We worked in the restaurant. We went out to school. And when we were in the restaurant, we were in the safest island you could imagine. We were friends with the staff. Mm. Um, we were friends with our parents. We were friends with our customers. We lived very, very safely. The world couldn't touch us. Do you remember Dad would come home, switch off all the lights and hide? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, all yeah. the time. Terrify us. <laughs> Terrify us. <laughs> Under the bed or sort of like in the cupboard at the top of the stairs or... Mum and Dad used to get home from work really late, you know, early hours in the morning and we'd have school the next day and we'd be in bed and we'd be able to smell frying steak and onions. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But they would say, well, did you, did you want some steak and rice at like three o'clock in the morning, wasn't it? So... <laughs> that came from Dad because in Dad's mind, oh, well, we're doing this, so it's absolutely fine. You'll be fine for school. You'll be tired, but who cares? But all of us have got a little bit about us now. Now, all of us behave that way where we're a little bit naughty and we're a little bit left of centre. And, and But, you know, I don't regret that in the slightest. I think it, it makes us quite fun people to be around, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's amazing that your dad was working all the hours that God gave and slaving away and then still had energy for fun. I think that's really unusual. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I think, but he, then he, th- I think he had a thyroid problem, but... <laughs> that's what it was wasn't it yeah yeah no he he was they are and they were brilliant parents they weren't conventional parents at all but they were really good and it was us it was us against the world really and you know way before the pandemic we talked about bubbles (laughs) we were in a bubble and it was a lovely bubble the minute we left that bubble we became very vulnerable all of us actually and it was very very tough to go out and 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 be picked on or bullied and think why why am i so different why do people need to point out those differences so publicly and make me feel bad about myself because apparently I'm all right because when I go home everything's lovely and I'm all right and I'm accepted for who I am and no one cares about my race or my sexuality well at the time I wasn't out but no one cares about who I am as a person I'm just me I fit in perfectly in this running order in our family but the minute we left the restaurant it was different and so that was quite a difficult thing to deal with because it was it was every single day you had to face the big wide world does that make any sense it absolutely does make sense and I think it's a theme of this podcast that you know families done right or even done good enough provide you with that they provide you with a kind of real sense of home I remember one brother and sister I was talking to they they coded a lot their um, black family who learnt to put on different voices depending on who they were talking to and and when they came home they can talk how they naturally talk and so their accent at home is homecoming and I I mean that's an extreme effort that extreme effort but really clever Really, really clever. Really clever, um, but tiring, Matt. And you must yeah. have done something similar. You must have put on some armour and gone, okay. We, we did, and you know, and, and actually, um, yeah, and we all still do it now, believe it or not. You, you've just kind of triggered something for me that I haven't really thought about. Because we all worked in the restaurant, we learned how to entertain and how to host. Uh, and so we, we, we found a way of being able to talk to people really competently from a very early age, me, my brother and my sister. So I think actually we probably did a little bit of that language thing. When we left the house, we knew then that we could then switch something on, which would be like hosting or entertaining, which kept people further away from us, especially when we sensed danger or they weren't going to be nice to us. Do you see? I, mean, I know I definitely did. And in fact, I still do that now. Some people have got a telephone voice. I've got a social voice and I put that social voice on when I want people to stay away and it becomes far louder. Mm. And, and, it, and it, you know, it almost creates that bubble that we had, that safety bubble when we were kids. I was wondering, just when you were saying that, it was really, I totally understand that. I can appreciate that. And I, I feel sad for you as kids that that was a process that you must have sort of had to do. But also I was slightly wondering, I wonder whether you are on now or not on now. Not on now. And the reason is, is because I'm talking about my brother. Okay. And I can tell you that honestly. And, and because 
and I know when I'm doing it, it's when I feel a little bit afraid or it's when, I, it's, it's when I'm a bit nervous or maybe not too sure about what I'm doing. Um, but, when, but this is fine because I'm talking about something that I know a lot about, which is my family. So I don't need to put on that front or to be that waiter, I guess. I'm a waiter on a day off. I've rolled up my sleeves and I've taken my dicky bow off. And so we're kind of there. And just to, just to go back, you, I, I get that why people may look at this and feel sad. But, you know, and I, and I know my brother feels the same way. We have to feel grateful about what we went through because we wouldn't be the people that we are right now. Mm-hmm. And as a 47-year-old as a um, man, I, I've never been happier with who I am as a person. Um, I trust my ethics. I trust my brain. I trust my politics. I know what I believe in. I know what's right for me anyway, and I'm willing to argue those things. And I, I wouldn't be able to do any of those things had we not gone through all of those experiences when we were younger. Because we have to truly look at where these people, what was going on in these people's lives. When they were behaving that way, they could have been going through something far worse than we were. That's true. Because that is, and so we have to have some compassion for that. We can't necessarily stay angry with those people forever because it's poisonous. And and, and so we have to, and so I, I do believe, and I know, I know my brother feels like that as well. When you start looking at it and going, right, okay, instead of me working out what the hell went wrong, let's work out what went right. Let's yeah. work out what impact has that had on us right now. And maybe I overthink things. Maybe I do. I love it. That's why, that's why I do this podcast. I'm a massive fan of overthinking. It's, it's weird because I often say to people, my biggest success in my life is my friends. They, mm. that by, by, by far, even more so than my career that I work very hard for, that my friends, I'm, I'm super proud because I've had to gather those people. But I had a really good head start in that 100 metre sprint to life mm. is because I had this incredible family and still do have this incredible family around me. And we are, aren't without our faults. Mm. I mean, we argue and we shout at each other and we have very, very different opinions on things. Um, but essentially, we are there for each other 100% of the time, all the time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Did you worry for him, given that you've said, you know, it was a different world then? There wasn't support for people who were different in any way. And he was different in lots of ways, actually. Did you worry? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. The nice thing was actually that you know he he when he did get himself into into sticky situations, and not because of any fault of his own, just purely because people out there are idiots, and they you know if if they can see they can see the difference in somebody, then they use that against him. And my brother would always ring me up, and I would go to his rescue every single time. You know, I was you know doing martial arts, and I was into my weight training, and 
so yeah so but i suppose it's nice that my brother always saw me as his knight in shining armor i suppose at that stage mm. so yeah. how do you think he'd describe you apart from being his protector a big a big softy <laughs> <laughs> i think i don't know i think ch- having children is re- really mellowed me out uh, my brother is gentle and uh, shy, believe it or not. Oh, he would he would say that he was super confident, but he's actually not. He's quite a shy person, um, I believe anyway. He is generous and he is kind, um, but he's also ambitious and strong and determined. Um, he's clever. He's way more clever than he thinks he is, which I think is probably quite a good thing, actually. The I think better he, way around, isn't it? Yeah. yeah <laughs> I think it, if he knew how clever he was, I think he might come across as arrogance. And I think because of the, the childhood that we had, not that it was all terrible, but we went through, you know, our fair share of bullying and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. I think my, it took my brother a long time to find out who he is as a person. Mm. And I remember watching him blossom into this really lovely warm annoying adult he's um he's competitive is the best word of describing gok if he does anything it has to be the best and not just the best of his ability but the best <laughs> so you know i think it was at the beginning of this year he decided right i'm going to learn to do the rubik's cube and literally within two weeks he could do a rubik's cube <laughs> then he started painting and all of a sudden he could paint and then he, he started DJing. I think it was only about five years ago that I think he bought himself a set of decks. And now he's a top DJ, <laughs> so, which, is, which is crazy. But, you know, Gok is just, he has this ability to turn his hand at anything. And again, I think that's another skill that our parents have instilled in us in a sense that there wasn't one job for one person. We did everything. I think our motto was how hard can it be? So if you want to do something, just go out and do it. I mean, you know, how hard can it be really? I'm kind of preparing for my retirement. That's how I feel in my life. I'm definitely in the autumn of my life. My brother seems to somehow stay in perpetual spring, quite youthful and young, whereas my energy is starting to fade slightly and be a bit tired and a bit knackered. Um, But yeah. He's got lovely skin as well, your brother. When I was looking at articles, I was thinking that skin is something else. He's very handsome, you know. Really, he is really handsome. I mean, we we, we always joke in the family. my, My brother got all the looks. Oh no, um, come on. No, my brother def- definitely did. He's very, very handsome. And, I, and I'm, I'm kind of good with that, especially with the career that I've had, you know, teaching people about their confidence. Just mm. know your strengths, know, what's, mm. know what you're about. My brother is handsome and charming and charismatic. My sister got the brains. She's really, really clever. And I just kind of sit somewhere between the two. And he's got also a, a smile that can sink a ship. I don't it's know if beautiful. You've noticed that. Yeah, yeah, I He's did. got the, the most gorgeous smile. And he, he knows when to switch it on as well. I mean, it's painful. Honestly, trickery. <laughs> what could you do to wind Gok up apart from call him babe? Um, just question him about anything. So anything that he does or just question him. He doesn't like being questioned because he's always right. <laughs> so just ask him, just saying. Are you really doing the right thing, or do you need? Do you think you should spend more time with mom and dad, or do you think? You, and that's it. Uh, you're wrong. He's right, and that's it. It blows up so quick. <laughs> so, I, I still am the biggest wind up. I love winding people up. I find their weakness, um, and I basically go hell for leather on it. And I, I, everything tormenting my brother. I mean, tormenting him 
constantly. I don't know what he's told you. I've, I mean, I've got a story that I want to tell you. Go on. But then, I know it's awful because it's so awful. I'm such a, I'm horrible. Basically, I would, I would get into my brother's brain and I would try and convince him that what he thought was wrong. I mean, this is psychological warfare. <laughs> so things like, okay, this is good. <laughs> This is going to sound so bad. Oh, forgive me. Whoever's up there looking down on us, forgive me. So I would do this little thing to my brother, which is the most annoying thing ever, but worked. So we would be standing at a shop somewhere with electronic doors, automatic doors. And we would stand outside waiting for mum or dad or whoever, whatever we were doing. And as soon as somebody walked through the door, I would wave my hand in the air and I would make this noise and go, like I had magic. (laughs) And the doors would open at the same time because I timed it perfectly. And the people would walk in and I'd say to my brother, I did that. <laughs> it's awful, isn't it? And he'd go, no, you didn't. I was like, yes, I did. And then and somebody else would walk to the door and I'd go, and as he was talking and being completely, and it's completely right, I didn't do it. As he was telling me I didn't do it, I'd go, Zhh. and I would do it again. And this would go on for hours to the point where I think actually sometimes he believed I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> Then I've got, I've got another one for you. I've got another one. So I used to, so we'd be driving in a car somewhere, probably going down to see my grandparents, my, grand, my grandmother. And, um, and I would look out the window and it'd be very silent in the car. Dad would be playing Buddy Holly. My brother would be singing along. My sister would be asleep and I'd be sat next to my brother and I would just kind of nudge him slightly. I'd point out the window and very knowingly, I would say to him, I can count every blade of grass in that field. And you'll go, no, you can't. And I would say, Yes, I can. And then I would do this. One, two. Done it. And he'd say, how many are there then? And I would say, I'm not telling you. I mean, it's awful, isn't it? It's it so, so stupidly, ridiculously sibling-y, I can't tell you. He won't be like, he will be laughing. And he finds it really funny now as well. He does find it really funny. Um, yeah, anyway, and lots... I am listening. Oh, are you? <laughs> so just to let you know... I've been listening for the last five minutes. <laughs> so he used to actually say it's a mathematical, zoological, geological. I can't tell you the number. Geological, I can't tell you the number. That's why I can't tell you how many blades of grass, grass are in that field. So, Gotlin, yeah. what I used to say was, we're going we're gonna to do a bit of role play now. We're going to do it again. I'm going to bring back all that fear. <laughs> Gotlin, you see that field? I can count every blade of grass in that field. And you'd say... No, you can't. Like, that's, just, that's impossible. Yes, you can. Oh, one, two, three, jibber, 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 jibber. Uh, it's a mathematical, zoological, zoological. I can't tell you what it is. And I used to do this to you. Do you remember? It was awful. Just constantly, constantly. I, I remember, didn't we go somewhere in Derby and you were doing it around Derbyshire or the Peak District Probably. or something? And, and there's just too many fields. So, yeah, you just created a for me for just about two hours. <laughs> so. don't, go, don't go near any fields with me. <laughs> So, yeah. I think it's fair to say, Gotlin, I am the wanker. Let's just, let's just be really honest about it. Let's just, I am the wanker of the family. It's just, that's just it. So you say he moved out at 16 quite early after you finished sharing your bedroom and that he knew he was gay but hadn't come out yet and that he needed the space yeah. is how you described it. What was that period like when he moved out? Strange, because obviously we'd been sharing a bedroom the whole time, and it was quite nice. Because I mean, literally, he was a five-minute walk from the from the restaurant um, straight up the Foss Road. 
family. I wasn't leaving the family. I was just going into the granny annex. I was just going somewhere that I could then, you know, be the person that I was going to be, by which time I knew that I was different. I remember being a, a, a real, genuinely equal combination of terrified, but also uh, uh, exhilarated by the freedom. Did you know he was gay before he told you he was gay? It didn't come as a surprise, but no. I think the last thing you do as a sibling, you know, you don't look at your brother and think, oh, he's gay. Or yes. you look at your sister and think, oh, you know, she, you know. Yeah, you don't categorise you know, your siblings thing, the, or your family, really, No, you? exactly. No, but why would you? I knew that I had to be away from the family to work out who I was as a person. I was never going to be able to come out at home. I, I knew in my heart of hearts that it was always going to be okay. Um, but there was, if there was ever a 0.0001% chance that I might lose a member of my family, then that risk was too, hard, too mm. high. Like a little chrysalis, really. You went away to yeah. just a little bit of... I like yeah. that I went, yeah, Exactly, the butterfly. The butterfly, the butterfly arrived. Butterfly. Or a moth. No, Depending on how you want to look at it. <laughs> Gok um, sort of well documented that he lost an incredible amount of weight after going to university and actually struggled with anorexia. Did you see him go through that? And how was that as his brother? Yeah, I used to, I was working at mum and dad's restaurant and Tuesdays was my day off. Mm. Are you right? Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. So, no, it's fine. And um, <clears throat> Tuesdays was my day off and um, I'd go to, I'd literally drive to London every Tuesday and take him for dinner to make sure he'd eat and I, yeah, I remember, and I, you know, and, and live in, in the height of my anorexia, when I would heavily ration what I would take in. And at that time, it was very, a very, very small amount because I was determined to be the thinnest I could be. But I would save up my eating for the Tuesday to see my brother because I didn't want to not eat in front of him. I was petrified of him being that worried about me. So I would, you know, starve and starve and starve myself. And then I would try and eat as much as I could in front of him just so I knew that he could go back to Leicester and not worry as much. So, yeah. That must have been a very hard It was time. crap. Yeah. What do you do? Because for him, because of the circle of friends he was with at the time and because, you know, he was at this drama school, he was at, he was, at was it Central? And um, he was obviously hanging out with these fabulous people that were skinny and, you know, they smoked too much and they... You know, I suppose a lot of them did drugs because they didn't eat, and you know, and he was he was that that was the circle of friends that he was hanging with, and at the time he needed to be skinny. If if truth be known, I was surrounded by far more beautiful, far more talented, far more brilliant people than me. But I I, I guess I imagined that if I was to look like everybody else, then I would be equally as clever or as bright or as funny or as talented as them. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's not the truth. And so he thought the best way of doing this was laxatives and, you know, and, and anorexia, not eating. So, shame. Yeah. Did he talk about it or was it like unspoken? Yeah, no, 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 no. no, no. Gok, is, Gok is probably the most secretive. He, if you've got a secret and you don't want it and you need to be, you just need to tell somebody, tell Gok, because he's fantastic at keeping secrets. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, whereas you tell me something and I'm <laughs> just, I have to talk about it. <laughs> I'm terrible. <laughs> so he may have spoken to Oilen about it at some stage, but it, it wasn't something that I think he was comfortable talking to me about. Um, so, yeah. I, I guess it was quite selfish because I didn't care 
what my family thought of me losing the weight because I didn't realise I was in trouble. And then when I admitted and I suddenly thought, okay, this is not good now, I'm very ill and, and my entire world is concerned about my health now, then I knew that there was a problem. But, but I did what I always do, which is I went back to my family. It was my family that fixed me, including my brother. Um, it was them that got me better. I didn't go, I didn't go into a hospital. I was very fortunate. Um, I didn't have you know, loads and loads of counselling or help. It was my family that did all of that stuff. They did what they always have done and will continue to do for the rest of my living life is that they will always just support me. And that was that's what I needed from them. They sound lovely. I think I'm just going to come and join your family. I think that's, <laughs> I'm going to come and hang out with Ma and Pa One. It's going to be all great. Mate, do you know what? You won't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed. Thank you to Gok and to Cochrane. Thank you too for listening. Yes, yeah, so Mr. Minoski was a teacher of my brother's, and um, I don't know. Obviously, he really liked this teacher, but we would be out in the car, and he'd say, "Oh, Mr. Minoski's just driven by." I'm like, "No, no, she hasn't. You're such a liar." But this would go on, and then five minutes down the road, oh, she's just driven by again, and this would go on for a three-hour journey. <laughs> Thank you too to Tanita Tickerham who let us use this amazing song. Sound design is by Nick Carter at Mixonics and digital production by Charlotte Griffiths. The two episodes mentioned were episode four with Darren and Becca Snow and episode six with Corey Walton Malcolm and his sister Janine. To see really sweet pictures of Gok or Coughlin or find out more about the podcast, do head to relativelypodcast.com. of love and hate Stand by the fireside Another rain may fall Your father's calling you You still feel safe inside Although your ma's too proud Your brother's ignoring you You still feel safe inside Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest Have taken time It's didn't do What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.